All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, we're in this season, the last Adam, and this is really our anchor verse for this season. If you're new here, I'll catch you up in one verse. Here's what the last Adam is. So it is written, the first Adam, and by the way, Adam is a word that means mankind. He says, the first man, Adam, became a life, a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Here's what Paul is proposing. He's saying the first Adam, which represents all of mankind, was given life by God. God breathed life into his lungs. He raised him from the dust. The first Adam was given life, and he chose death. Genesis chapter 2. He was given life, and he was told, don't do one thing. And he did the one thing that he was told not to do, and he was given life and chose death. The last Adam chose death, that's Jesus, chose death so that we could have life. And Paul is presenting a paradox for you to choose from. Do you identify with the first Adam who was given life and chose death, who chose not to live redeemed, who chose not to live renewed, who chose not to live with the power of God, who chose not to walk with the Lord? Do you identify with the first Adam who was given life and chose death? Or do you identify with the second Adam who chose death so that we could have a life-giving spirit. We said this, the gospel, the good news, Christianity. Okay, Cap, catch me on this. This is Paul's entire message from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christianity is not a book of rules to live by. Christianity is not spiritual values that you just add to your life. Christianity is not a political agenda. Christianity is not the path to spirituality. Christianity is the good news of the death, burial, resurrection, appearance, and ascension of Jesus Christ, an event that changed history forever. That is Christianity. Because if we don't have the resurrection of Jesus, we have nothing. Paul's whole message, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's not about this, not about this, not about this. It gives life to those things, but Christianity is the good news of an event that changed the course of history forever. The death, burial, resurrection, appearance, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Okay, we got it. Let's roll into 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 34. It says, then the end will come. We're talking about the end times right now. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Talking about the battle of Armageddon, Revelation chapter 16, all of the nations rise and come against Israel and come against Christ, and Christ comes back and wipes out all authorities, all powers, all of those things. All authority, all dominion, all power has been destroyed. Verse 25. For he must reign, now we're talking about the millennial reign, Revelation chapter 20. Paul gives him a very quick synopsis of the end times. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Verse 26, catch the irony here. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Make no mistake about it. Death is an enemy. Make no mistake about it. Death is an enemy. What did the first Adam do? 
He was given life and chose death. What has reigned since then? Death. What is the last enemy to be conquered by the last Adam? Death. So he's coming to conquer all power, all dominion, all authority. He's coming to rule. He's coming to reign. And he's coming to conquer death. Verse 27. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself. Notice the submission to the Godhead, to the Trinity. It does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. Verse 28. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him. Here is the goal of the resurrection. So that God may be all in all. It's the goal of the resurrection of Jesus, so that God may be all in all. What's the goal of my resurrected life, so that God may be all in all? What's the goal of the future resurrection and rapture of the church, so that God may be all in all? All. Now he goes into people in a group and he's speaking to Christians who haven't quite grasped this concept yet. That he's not all in all. That maybe he didn't even rise. Maybe it's just a fictional story that we share. And so he goes in verse 29. Now if there is no resurrection, we've seen this. We talked about the absurdity of it last week. Reductio ad absurdum. Reduction to absurdity. Paul says, you want to you think there's no resurrection? I'll tell you how insane you actually are. So he goes in, verse 29. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do? What will those do who are baptized for the dead? That was a pagan ritual that they used to practice for people who died without being followers of Christ. They would get baptized for them, hoping that it would transfer. And Paul's saying, if you don't even believe in the resurrection, why are you doing this weird stuff? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized for them? Verse 30. And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Okay, 31 through 34 is where we're spending the bulk of our time. He says, I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. We, um, a couple months ago, uh, we were watching the Super Bowl. And no, I don't want to talk to you about the Chiefs losing the Super Bowl. I still don't want to have that conversation with you. I'd love to talk to you about the Chiefs having a better chance of going back and winning the Super Bowl this year than the Texans do of going 500. But, I mean, who cares about that, right? Uh, no, we're, we're watching the Super Bowl. And during the Super Bowl, when the commercials came on, I had my family over at our house. We made a bunch of food. My kids are playing. And we, everyone was like, hey, hey, the commercials are on. The commercials are on. So we're like, all right, great. And we all get dialed in. And one of the first commercials is Will Ferrell. 
Now, our family, we're Will Ferrell fans. We, we love Will Ferrell. So when he came on, everyone's like, hey, it's Will Ferrell, it's Will Ferrell, this is so funny. And he is hammering, uh, I think it's Norway. Is it Norway? Yeah. He's making fun of Norway, and he wants to attack Norway because they have better battery-operated cars than the U.S. And so it's, it's this storyline that begins to build and begins to build and begins to build, and it's one that's like capturing us as the commercial's playing. We're watching it, and we're liking it, and then all of the sudden, and I don't know why they do this, he drops two bombs at the very end of it. I have it. I'm going I'm to show it to you. Hey, by the way, church family online, you know uh, if you Norway, get kicked, oh, so pause, 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 go back. Okay, we probably lost him already. Sorry I acted like my five-year-old son there. I just kind of, I've learned it. I'm mirroring what I'm seeing at home. Um, Church family online, if we lose you uh, because of Facebook's really intense about this kind of stuff, uh, if they kick you off, go to YouTube, and then we'll be back on. But uh, anyways, <laughs> enjoy the commercial. Sorry, graphics, that I screwed you all up. Did you know that Norway sells way more electric cars per capita than the U.S.? Norway. <laughs> well, I won't stand for it. Never mind. With GM's new Ultium battery, we're gonna crush those losers. Crush them! Let's go, America. Keenan, Norway's out EVing us. Wait, wait, what's this? Oh, it's my daughter's birthday. She's really into pirates lately. I don't lately. care. Grab an EV, meet me in Norway. Okay, can I say goodbye to my family? Nope. All right. Ah! <clears throat> Aquafina, sorry to disturb you, but Norway's beating us at EVs. Nah. -uh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Meet me there in an hour. Can I ride with you? No! GM's Ultium battery is made for all types of vehicles, so soon everyone can drive an EV. Oh! Why didn't we all just go together? No one will, he's probably flying private. Hey, Norway, listen up, you fish-loving! Oh, this place is adorable. Where are you guys? We're in Finland. Where are you? I'm in Norway. Norway? You're in Sweden. Okay, I'm, I'm heading somewhere here. Uh, Church Online, I hope you're still with us. So we're all in on that commercial, right? And we're all watching it and we're glued to the TV. And then at the end, he drops two bombs, the same word. It starts with a D and it ends with an it. And my five-year-old son is sitting right in the middle of the floor. And after the first one, he hears it. And he, I mean, no sooner than it came out of his mouth did my five-year-old son say. And I, I heard him say it. And I was like, what did you say? I, I said, you don't say that word in my house, boy. And here, so my entire family's there. And when you hear a five-year-old cuss, what do, what do you do? They all started laughing, Right. What happens when a five-year-old cusses and gets laughed at? Does it again. Oh, so then he just, oh, he says it again. And I'm, I'm the only one at this point who's like the mature adult household member who's like, shut your mouth. Don't say it again. And he rips it off again. And then he shows it again. And, and Will Farrell, thank you, Will, does it again. And he just says the word again. And then my son just violently spits it out again. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, if I hear you say that one more time, I'll put a cap full of vinegar in your mouth. I'm going to 
zip your lips shut. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm thinking to myself, if he shows up to church and he says that in front of Cece or Nikisha or Jen or Ashley, they're going to think that I'm the one in the house that cusses. I'm not the one in the house that cusses. That's Hannah. I know you don't believe me. But, and, then, and then I figured, you know what I'm going to do is be like, no, no, no. He, he learned it from a TV show. And, and they're going to be like, oh, great. Pastor cusses. Andy's a liar, right? He learned it from, learned it from a TV show, right? So anyway, I, I have this long conversation with him. I put him to bed. I tell him, son, we're going to pray right now. And, and we're going to pray that the Lord would take that word out of your mind because that's a bad word. And that, that word doesn't honor Jesus. And he's like, okay, okay. And so he prays. And sure enough, you know what happened? Just, I think, a few days ago, maybe a week ago, he's walking through the kitchen. And there's a kitchen chair right there. And he stubs his toe on a kitchen chair. And you know what word? Violently. I am talking ferociously. Hard consonants in the center. He stubs his toe and he goes, ow! And lets it rip. And I'm, yeah, I, you know, I, I dealt with him, but, but I'll tell you, on the inside, what I realized was, one, I no longer like Will Ferrell, but number two was how easily we're influenced. How easily we can hear something and it sticks with us. How easily a five-year-old can hear one word that he should never utter that is not spoken. Believe it or not, it's not spoken in our house. He heard it one time from a TV, two times from a TV commercial. And all of a sudden, when he's angry, when he's frustrated, when he's feeling sinful, the first thing that flies out of his mouth is that word. It was striking to me how easily we're influenced as people. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Within the context of the, revel- of the resurrection, what he is saying is the people that you are surrounding yourself with, the things that you are listening to, The things that you are allowing to come out of your mouth in the presence of the wrong people are robbing you of the power of God in your life. They are robbing you of God's power. They are robbing you of his perspective. And they are robbing you of his promise. In fact, Paul lays a framework, and we've covered a lot of this in previous messages. I won't spend a long time here. But in the resurrection, we talked about this. The resurrection he covers is Jesus has resurrected. I am resurrected. I am new. I am a living, active being of Christ now. And then there is the church resurrection, the rapture at the end of times. Okay, And then he gives us the three pieces to the resurrection. And this is what Paul Paul is is getting at by saying bad company corrupts good character. Paul has covered the perspective of resurrection. It is the foundation of who we are. I am what I am, but by grace. Grace has transformed me. He gives us the power of the resurrection. It brings life. And then he gives us the promise of the resurrection. I have a future with God. And then he says, and I find this so ironic. In a chapter of scripture extensively dedicated to the resurrection. I mean, committed to, there is no greater chapter on the resurrection of Jesus Christ than 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What does he insert as one of the major things that will rob you of the power and life and hope that you have in the resurrection? The people you surround yourself with. 
the people that you keep company with. I tell people this all the time. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. I've heard great leadership. I think it may have been Maxwell. It's repeated over and over and over again that uh, you become the sum total of the five people you surround yourself with. If you look at the five closest people to you, the five closest people that you spend the most time with, that's going to be what you become in your future. What Paul is saying is the power and life and hope and strength that you have in Jesus. If you're around the wrong people, they're going to rob you of it. They're going to steal it from you. Before we dive into that, I just wanted to share this because I think Paul sets it up again. 1 Corinthians 15, 31 through 32. Kind of a hard break here, but, but follow me. He says, I face death every day. You guys got it great. I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 32. Now, we have no evidence whatsoever of Paul ever declaring to be a gladiator. So many people believe he is using this as an illustration, okay? So uh, either way, it's great. It, 32 says, if I, found, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus... With no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul is writing this letter from Ephesus, which is part of the Roman Empire at this time. So just across the Mediterranean is Rome, and in Rome is this giant Colosseum. So I want you to go to this place in your mind's eye. Close your eyes if it helps you, and I want you to envision this. I want you to picture yourself in the basement, in the underground of the Roman Colosseum. It was an outside Colosseum. It would rival the greatest and largest international soccer arenas of today. It was this huge outside Colosseum. You could fit half the country inside of it, okay? So picture the entire half of the country inside of it, cheering and screaming and stomping so loud that it was shaking the earth. Literally, the earth was shaking. Your feet were shaking when you were standing. And then picture underneath this pulley system, this grand pulley system, and these cages of animals that have been starved for weeks. These giant lions, these giant tigers, they're, they have been starved, they're bloodthirsty, and they're ready to rip apart anything that is placed before them. And these ropes are pulled, and these cages are lifted, and these pulleys lift these animals, and they open up the cage and release them into the Colosseum. And you can hear the chants of the people. They want blood they want death. And then you are brought to the entryway of the gladiators. And there are two double-doored steel walls there. There's walls surrounding you, and there's one mobile wall behind you. And as you get to the doors, you're waiting, and you're shaking. And all you have is a spear and a metal vest and a helmet on, and they're chanting for you to come. And then all of a sudden, those double doors fly open. The wall behind you surges you forward out into this arena. The walls close behind you, and there you are with all of these ferocious animals ready to rip you apart. Paul says, if I go into that with human hopes, might as well eat, drink, and be ready to die. Might as well just have a good drink, have a good meal, because tomorrow I'm dead. He's using it as an illustration of living your life according to human hopes. He's saying, human hope does not work out there. Listen to me. Human hope does not work out there. 
If you go through the doors and enter the arena of the world and you think that human hope is going to save your life, maybe I'll just catch a break on Monday. Maybe I'll meet somebody new. Maybe I'll just, maybe a new group of friends will help me get through this. Maybe another wine night with the ladies is going to heal all the pain. Maybe going drinking at the deer camp and avoiding everything that's messed up is going to solve everything. Human hopes will not save you out there. That's what Paul is saying. Human hopes can't do it. They won't do it. And if that's your perspective, you might as well have a good drink, have a good meal because you're dead. But then what does he say? He moves into the hope of the resurrection every single time the past three weeks. What have we said? The resurrection is all or nothing. What does he say in verse 28? So that God may be all in all. This is not a part. This is the whole. This is everything. The illustration that he gave them of the gladiators would have landed just how it landed with you. If you think that you're going into that arena... With nothing but human hope. Might as well have a good drink, have a meal, you're dead. But then he rolls into 1 Corinthians 15.33. He corrects the behavior. I love how Paul does this. Over and over, he corrects the behavior. And he gives three actives that we can live by to correct this behavior. He says, 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be misled. Don't be deceived. Don't allow yourself to be lied to. Bad company corrupts good character. The Greek word for company means to continue the conversation with. So he's saying bad company, the wrong people, and continuing the conversation with the wrong people, staying in relationship with the wrong people, continuing your text with the wrong people, getting together with the wrong people, it is mis. Leading, And not only is it misleading, but it is corrupting. That is to rust and destroy. It is destroying good character. Don't be misled. Don't let it pull you astray. Don't let the people that you're around pull you into just hoping for human hope. My only hope is in Jesus. My only life is in Jesus. The only hope for my kids' future is in Jesus. The hope of my marriage is in Jesus. The hope of my life is in Jesus. I don't want to walk by human hope. But he's saying if you are misled, you will. Uh, it's, it's getting to be that time. The weather is changing and it's time to go fishing. And my kayak is still talking to me from the garage. Still saying, hey, still don't like me? Still don't love me? Still don't want to spend any time with me, and I'm still saying, baby, I don't deserve you. I'm sorry. I'm still waiting. But uh, last summer was the first time in, I don't know, four or five years uh, that I didn't go to Louisiana. I love to go to Louisiana. I fish in the Dularge Bayou. I got a bunch of friends in South Louisiana that love to chase redfish throughout shallows, and I enjoy doing it so much. Um, and one of the people that I fish with out there is named Mr. Stanley. Everybody calls him Papa Bear. And this guy, he has been fishing the waters that we fish longer than I've been alive. He knows them like the best. He doesn't know the waters. He knows what's underneath the waters. He'll say, hey, don't cast there. There's this old, long electrical line that used to run underneath there, and you get hung. I mean, he is, it is amazing to fish with this guy. And we, we pulled up to this spot, 
and he wanted to fish in this little inlet of a, of a bayou, but there was this boat right in front of it. And he's like, man, I, I really want to fish there, and I don't want them to know that I want to fish there. So he's all scheming. He said, watch this, boys. And so he pulls around the corner a little bit, and he said, man, all, all we need is one fish. All we need is one. Just, just somebody throw something in. Come on, find, find one fish. And so we fish. Sure enough, about five minutes later, we caught this little bitty saltwater bass, right? And right when we caught it, Mr. Stanley starts acting. He's, oh, man, we own them, boys. We own them, boys. Here we go. We got us a fish. We're ready. And he's lifting the live well. He's slamming it shut. And he's, you know, he's causing this commotion. And those boys down there start looking. What is going on? What is going on? Like, Boy, we on him. We all oh, we're almost finished. And he starts to pull. He starts to troll just around the corner. And right as he trolls around the corner, sure enough, I mean, it was it was comical. These guys start trolling right behind us. They start following us right around the corner, and the second they got away from that inlet, Mr. Stanley, power pull up, fires up the engine, and he just whips all the way around, pulls back in there. 20 minutes later, we had a lemon of redfish for three guys, 15 fish in the boat. I mean, it was amazing, but what happened was they were right where they need to be, and they allowed someone else to lead them away from it. Paul is saying... I'm saying to you, we're right where we need to be. You're right in the center of the hope that God has for you. We celebrate it in two weeks. We're getting ready to celebrate resurrection hope, resurrection, resurrection power. And yet when you go to the office on Monday, you may allow some negative talking person to lead you away from the very hope that God has put right underneath you. Do not be misled. Don't let the wrong people mislead you. Don't let the wrong conversations mislead you. Don't let the wrong people on social media mislead you. Don't let things distract you from the hope that God has for you. It is right here for you. So he says, do not be misled, 1 Corinthians 15, 34. And he says, come back to your senses as you ought. Come back to your senses. And I put... Uh, those of you that are following with our, our notes app, you'll, you'll see it on there. Uh, that word, that Greek word, uh, it's a verb that means sober up from drunkenness. So what he's saying here is sober up, you're drunk. So you come back to your senses as you ought. Come back to what you know is true. You're drunk on the world. You're drunk on human hopes. You're drunk on hoping in something that has nothing but a worldly value. He's saying, come back and sober up. When you're drunk, the first two things to go are control and judgment. At least that's what my friends tell me, right? I, I have no idea. But uh, when you're drunk, the first two things that disappear are your control and your judgment. We had some guys show up to my school right when we were at the age to be able to start driving. And we thought it was another, you know, dare to keep kids off drugs, scare us out of driving drunk and all this and that. But they did something really cool. They said, hey, we want you guys to do some activities. We said, okay, cool. So we gathered to do these activities. And they said, but we want you to do them with these goggles on. And they put these goggles on us that simulated being drunk. 
So you put them on, it distorted your vision, it distorted what you see, it distorted all of your direction and your sense of depth and everything else. They were drunk goggles. It was really, really cool. And so he's like, hey, okay, we want you to walk on this balance beam. And so you take it off and you'd walk the whole balance beam. Now put the goggles on. And the second they went on your face, you know, you look like a baby deer. You're just kind of like trying to get your your legs underneath. You can't do anything. And it was amazing to me to see how bad Alcohol can distort your control, your judgment, and everything else that's going on with your life. That's exactly what Paul is relating being around the wrong people to. It's like being drunk in your judgment. It's like being drunk in your thoughts, in your control, in your judgment. He's saying, come back to your senses. The sobriety of the gospel is this. Jesus is alive. I am alive. And we have something to live for. It's that simple. The sobriety that you're longing for in your life is this. Jesus is alive. I am alive. And we have something to live for. And then he finishes right here. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. He says, and stop sinning. For there are some of you who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. What he means by ignorant of God is there are some of you that don't really know the true God who raised Jesus from the dead. So stop sinning. Stop sinning is in conjunction with 1 Corinthians 15.32. He says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. I know I, I spend a lot of time with a lot of people. And I've, I've lived this myself. So when I say I'm preaching to myself, I, I, don't, I never preach at you. I preach with you. I need this just as much as you need it. Uh, there are people who want to stop something that can't. There are people who are battling something and they want to stop, but they can't. And I, I talk to people all the time. Hey, I need to stop this. Hey, I need to stop this. Where is the power to stop? Romans 8 verse 11. It says the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The power to stop, the power to overcome, is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He's saying the power to quit, the power to overcome, the power to become stronger, the power to stop is in the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So now you can make the full connection. When he says, do not be misled, and he says you're losing your power by being around the wrong people, he's saying what is happening is you can't stop anymore. And the reason you can't stop is the power that you need to stop is being taken from you from being around the wrong people, having the wrong perspective, and walking in the wrong power. When I was in uh, school, I, I remember I was sitting here thinking, I was like, what, what, would, what would illustrate this really well? And I don't know, it must have been the Spirit of God or, or just me being a, a bad kid. But this, this moment popped into my head. Our school used to have a, uh, a carnival every year. And we had those giant inflatables. You know of those giant inflatables? Uh, they're just huge, massive things. Are you still here? Are we, are we with? You know what I'm talking about? Giant inflatables? Okay, great. So we had those, and the carnival was over. And as I was walking through the gymnasium, uh, one of the teachers said, Guys, no more jumping on the inflatables. Every, we're finished for today. I was this kid who heard no more and thought it meant one more. 
So I hear, no more jumping on the inflatables, it's done. And I didn't know this, but they had cut the blowers to those things, you know, and those, those blowers. But it's, it's a really weird thing because when you, when you cut the blower off, they still stay in form, right? Like you can still see the shape existing. So we were walking by and they said, no more, no more jumping on them. And I was like, watch this. You know? And I take off, one more dive, laid out. first time I ever thought I broke a bone. I jumped out, laid out like this, and I went straight through face first on the gym floor. And you know those old wood gym floors? It sounds like you're dropping a bag of wrenches on the, on the wood. It's just like, boom, I hit, and I just laid there. And I thought, what on earth happened? And what had happened was it looked like it was the same, but there was nothing giving it life anymore. There was nothing blowing air into it anymore, keeping it afloat anymore. When we talk about the resurrection, it is what gives you hope. It is what blows life into your bones. It's what fills you up. It's what keeps you going. So don't be misled. Don't let anybody lie to you. Sober up and keep on going.